Welcome to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yes, we're coming to you semi-regular. I'm feeling fairly regular these days uh, because we're recording on a fairly regular basis <laughs> at the Pirate Monk Podcast. Who knew recording podcasts, the mucilix for the soul. <laughs> yes, and uh, I just think this is going to be a good, solid episode. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, having finished the interview portion already, I th- I think it's a good one. I think uh, okay. I forecast <laughs> good things. Yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, today we have a fun guest, especially for those that uh, the 70s and 80s were an influential musical time in their Christian life, then they will look forward to our guest a great deal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We'll just leave it like that. Yeah. Uh, well... I am speaking to you, by the way, Aaron, from a lovely cottage on the shores of Lake Ontario. Okay, I was wondering. Across the bay from uh, Sackets Harbor, New York, came up here for a family wedding a week ago. We were supposed to stay stay three days, and it's so nice, and there's so many people to see because I have family here. We've extended the trip. Okay, I was wondering if I was confused because I thought you were supposed to be done a while ago. I I was supposed to be in Tennessee today, but we're still up here. So how was the wedding? Um, It was absolutely gorgeous. Come on, beautiful bride. And uh, we had all all my siblings, all my living siblings were there. It may be the last time we're together. One of my sisters has a significant uh, health challenge. Uh, It was just great to be surrounded by family. Aunts and uncles came and cousins and little nieces and nephews whose names I don't know. Uh, <laughs> did you pull off faking it well? Uh, uh, yes, I did. Good. I did. Uh, A lot of, hey there, buddy, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good. So, so upstate New York, at this time of year, you're not too humid. The mosquitoes haven't started carrying off small cats Right, yeah. No, no, it's absolutely lovely. It's about, it'll top out at about 74 degrees today. Wow. I took my morning walk. It was 65, low humidity. Beautiful town. (laughs) We're talking about the weather again. We made a commitment for less weather talk, but I I am actually curious about your upstate New York. And uh, Allie and I took our time. We made a three-day trip to drive up here. And uh, we are, uh, I also read to Allie every day. We've got a... um, interesting book we're into that I, uh, I I think we probably at some point should devote an episode to. It's called, it's by Tony Renke uh, with a forward by John Piper. It's called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. Oh man, I would love to read that because yeah, watching yeah. my kids trying to have whole days that we say no phones today. I hate watching what it's doing to my kids and I'll bet that yeah. book articulates it for me. I had a long talk yesterday with one of my brothers who is a high school teacher. He teaches Spanish to 10th graders. He's been doing it now for, I think, 16 years. And he says that the change that he's seen over the last decade since the arrival of the smartphone is absolutely cataclysmic. And uh, he's almost in despair for his current students, Uh, their inability to focus, uh, their, you know, it just seems what a growing superficiality, uh, man. 
So you yeah. know what? That is worth an episode. We yeah, need to take... uh, probably get Tony Renke on the podcast and have ourselves a long talk about how our phones are changing us. Ooh, do I see a fidget spinner? Take their phones away, and they still need these in their hands. Yes. Yes, so this is one reason you should watch the show on YouTube, because I am holding up a fidget spinner that uh, my family, that was my Father's Day present, was uh, a fidget spinner. (laughs) Oh, really? And the sad part is I've enjoyed it thoroughly. So, Uh yeah, I think that's a weird... 1950s if you handed kids a ball bearing with a bit of plastic around it they'd be like uh thank you i think why i mean i want to go play some baseball come right. on guys so yeah i uh, great topic i would love to do it and i just want to say as a not connected to that thought but it reminded me those of you that tried to download last week's episode 192 living water uh, all kinds of technical difficulties. There's still a couple versions up, although I relabeled one saying don't download this. But it is working, so please go check it out. It was a really important topic last week. Um, good information, good for all of us to know, and it is working. So go give it another shot if you downloaded nothing. All right. Is that the episode I wasn't on? That is the episode you weren't on. Oh, that's probably why it wasn't working. <laughs> the universe conspired against the, the Nateless <laughs> Pirate Monk podcast. No, um, I, I'm eager to hear it because uh, uh, I know that was a that was a great conversation. Hey, uh, uh, Allie and I are actually reading another book. Uh, I, actually, I have read the book. I've not yet read it to Allie. Uh, but this is one, too, that we need to alert our listeners to. Uh, it's by a fellow named Matt Frad, F-R-A-D-D. The book is called The Porn Myth. Matt is from Australia, I believe. And this is the best uh, treatment of uh, the problems that porn creates. The really? best explication that I have ever read. Wow. Uh, and although Matt's a Christian, uh, a devout Catholic, uh, there is not a single Bible reference in the book. This is scientific studies heavily footnoted with an extensive appendix. Wow. And he gives sound scientific sociological reasons for why we should be doing everything we can to combat uh, the uh, the porn epidemic. I love the way he opens the book. I'll just kind of paraphrase it. You know, he says, I'm going to try to convince you that porn is far from benign, that it's actually dangerous and we need to take steps to he says it's too we'll, we'll never eliminate it but we need to we need to uh, do what we can to control its influence he said but before i do let me tell you a story about moths he says uh, sometime i think in the 1870s a fellow who wanted to introduce silk production into north america let some uh, brought some gypsy moths to boston and let them loose and they soon uh started decimating trees in Boston and then moved out into the forests and the hinterlands. And pretty soon they're all over New England and they, ext- and they travel across the continental United States and they're doing tremendous damage and nobody can stop them. For decades this goes on. And then uh, in the 1950s, scientists finally uh, figured out uh, uh, something they could do. They finally understood that the male moth is attracted to the female moth by a pheromone that she emits they were able to synthesize that pheromone and then jack it up to make it very powerful. 
they then dropped it in pellets over infested forests. And, uh, and, and it worked because the male moths became disoriented. They became disinterested in the female moths because this artificial pheromone was much more powerful. They stopped reproducing and that solved the problem. Wow. He says, pornography is a visual pheromone. And then he goes on to show through sociological studies what it has done to the relationship between the sexes, uh, especially since the introduction of video porn. So uh, highly recommend the book. Uh, the author again is Matt Fred, F-R-A-D-D, and the book is called The Porn Myth. So that's another guy we've got to get on the podcast, Aaron. All right. Well, we'll get on that. I, I would love to hear more about that. So there's two books, and I'm reading The Soul of Shame, which is all the neurological aspects of what happens to your brain when you feel shame. Super Ooh. fascinating. So there are three shows that, uh, listeners, you'll need to hold us to because they are important topics and sound really interesting. I want to learn more about all this. Yeah. Cool. Well, shall we not have them wait any longer for this uh, special guest we got? It would be cruel to have them wait any longer. I think I think we should bring them on board. All right, then we'll be right back here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast, and it is time for the interview that we all have been waiting for ever since uh, it was announced. Uh, you tweeted it, didn't you, uh, to your millions of followers, Aaron, that Matthew Ward was going to be on the podcast? Tweeting? You think I tweet? <laughs> I have no tweet. <laughs> oh, I must have gotten you mixed up with somebody I, else. Well, I, then, I, then... I did I did yell to the neighbor when he was weed whacking yesterday, so if that counts as tweeting, I tweeted it. <laughs> Well, dear listener, if you didn't get a tweet, uh, then you were not clued in to the uh, earth-shattering news that joining us today on the podcast is none other than the legendary Matthew Ward, uh, the sweetest voice in all of contemporary Christian music. To this day, in my opinion, good golly, what a set of pipes. <laughs> that was glowing. I mean, I, I don't even know what to... It's like, okay, thanks, thanks for joining us. <laughs> and he's joining us via the magic of the worldwide interweb uh, from his compound, his uh, palace, uh, fortress, high, <laughs> high in the mountain fastnesses of Colorado. Yes. Now, what's it like there in, in the springs these days? Hot. Oh, really? Yeah, man. It's been, it's, we've had already had a couple of days that were, in the mid mid nineties already, so it seems like only a month ago you were you you were showing us photographs of six inches of snow on your deck. Well, you know, this is Colorado. We might get six inches of snow tomorrow. <laughs> okay. You know, in in the past, when weather was like this in Colorado, you would say it's blazing. But now, Colorado and blazing, no. you can't. You got to figure out other words for that. Oh, smoke and mirrors <laughs> minus the mirror. <laughs> Yeah, uh, can you see Pikes Peak through the green haze these days? Whoa. Actually, it's beautiful, and Pikes Peak still has snow on it. 
Oh, I thought you meant the brewery down the street from you. Oh, that had, that probably has some snow on it too. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, uh, for those of you who have the misfortune of being born late, uh, you may not uh, recognize this name. Uh, I'm surprised that there. I do have a few friends who don't know who Matthew Ward is, and I'm astonished every time I I encounter one of those Christians because I even have some friends that don't know. <laughs> <laughs> to me, Matthew, your voice defined an era, uh, the 70s, 80s, early 90s, uh, when I was in college. And then I was, st- I was just stunned to find out that I'm actually older than you are because I was buying records, Yeah, your, your records when I was in college and playing them until you could hear the other side. Yeah, Records, uh, and people actually know what I'm talking about when I say records now because vinyl is back. Um so Matthew, part of the trio known as the second chapter of Acts, yes. uh, toured with his sisters for 18 years? Almost. 17 yeah. plus. Uh, yeah. And uh, just music that would make uh, shivers go up and down your spine. Well, thank you for joining us, Matthew. You bet, man. It's my pleasure. Yeah. You know, we, we wanted to have a, a conversation about uh, um, about community and about revival and about, um, yes, yeah, spirituality within community. There's a lot of talk these days about community, but not so much beyond the conversation. What do you say, Aaron? You think? Yeah. Um, community can sometimes mean just, hey, I have dinner with uh, a potluck or something at church once a month, and that's not that's not living together. So as we're trying to help uh, develop and foster conversations about living together, we just thought Matthew would be the ultimate guy because back in the seventies, when the Jesus people hit California, uh, man, people were buying houses on streets and all living together and yeah. trying to combine the hippie community with this newfound faith. And there's stuff to learn, and I think there's some warnings. So that's the conversation that we wanted to have today. Yeah. And, you know, looking back, you know, if you just want to jump into some of that, that's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the closest thing, uh, as, as far as I'm concerned, we the second chapter, you know, was me and my, uh, and my two sisters. Uh, I'm the youngest of nine kids. So anyway, that's a whole story to get into how that all started. But uh, in L.A., you know, it was 1971 basically when we started 72, when we started doing stuff, we, um, we were never really in a, in a communal situation. Like we didn't live with a bunch of people in a house necessarily. Mm-hmm. We, we rented a big house and we had people live with us from time mm-hmm. to time that we ministered to, but it wasn't, you know, I guess that's pretty much community, isn't it right there? Um, but we had a thing every Tuesday night at our house and it was, uh, we called it the Tuesday night uh, Bible study. Mm-hmm. and we'd feed we would have about 50 sometimes 60 65 people would show up at our house and we did that every tuesday and we saw the most radical things happen people i saw people get healed right in front of my eyes mm-hmm. i mean i saw things happen um i saw nights where the food should have run out but it didn't and we had food leftovers for a week you know yeah, that kind of thing yeah, yeah, like, yeah, well, yeah, how yeah. Does that, you know miracle stuff you know we we needed rent money didn't tell anybody about it and there was cash on the mantle after the meeting, had no idea who left it. But yeah, it was just, yeah. Just the right amount, you know. 
all those kind of stories. So I guess that would be the, the closest thing to, to a, any sort of a communal situation that I was actually part of. I had a lot of friends and would go visit them quite a bit, like Keith Green. He had a house in LA, had a bunch of people living there. It was definitely a communal situation yeah. there. And I would go spend the night there sometimes. We try to write music together once in a while. So I got a, a good taste of what that was like. Yeah. Uh, did you ever go to Love Inn in upstate New York? Sure did. Yeah. We I visited we visited Phil, did some stuff up there at Love Inn with him and and did some stuff with the with the people up there. So Okay, so for those of us like me that were born in nineteen seventy six uh, Lovin sounds naughty, but you both look very sincere <laughs> yeah. and like it's a good thing. Yeah, you know, well, it, it, was, it was naughty. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay, uh, Lovin was a, a Christian community, a commune uh, centered around a restored barn uh, south of uh, Ithaca, New York. And Phil Kagey was there. Scott Ross was there. Uh, and it was a, a center kind of for Christian art and Christian media for a while and had very much a communal feel. Oh, yeah. And then you guys moved to Texas, where you weren't living in the same house with Keith, but you guys were in proximity, weren't you there, along an airstrip? Uh, yeah, we we, um, we moved there in 1980, bought, uh, bought 100 acres of land, and our properties bordered uh, Last Days Ministries, which was Keith Green's deal, Five, he had 500 acres, we had 100. So it was great when I went out shooting or riding my dirt bike. I had yeah. 600 acres to play on. That was yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so yeah, so I watched that whole world over there, you know, their communal vibe for a lot of years. And it was just, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I like my own toothbrush, my own soap, you know, so I, I kind of stayed, stayed away from <laughs> so, that. So what, what do you think it was that made, I mean, we can just make it easy and say it's a simple transfer of hippie values. But what was it about that time that Christians were willing to say, yeah, I'm going to inconvenience my life to be more connected with other people. I'm willing to spend my time and energy and just life. Why? How are people making those decisions when they are not about to make those decisions today? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting thing. I think a lot of it does stem from the, the mentality of, the early days of the Jesus movement being closely tied in with hippiness, you know, mm -hmm. um, I think the mindset was much easier to jump into back then than it is now. I think our mindset now is much more, you know, I think we're just much more independently minded. It seems like to me, I mean, that's, that's what I'm noticing. Even when I lived in East Texas, you know, uh, just living in, and we, we lived in a gated community, but it was, you know, everybody just stuck to their own business, you know, like, you know, I'll leave you alone if you leave me alone kind of thing. And But I think back back in the early days, late 60s, early 70s, uh, it seemed to me like there was a certain type, you know, God's peculiar people, if you will. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was a certain mindset of folks that would join community. I'm not saying they were all that way, but it sure seemed to me like there was a majority of, of you know, kind of like, not tree huggers, but, you know, just hippie-ish type folks that were drawn into that lifestyle more than say somebody that worked at IBM or, you know, I mean, you, you didn't see a lot of bankers joining uh, last day's ministries, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. <clears throat> but um, I, I think people just, I think they wanted to, to walk deeper with the Lord. And I think they saw 
community as a way to do that, almost an accountability factor in, in, involved in that and an in and out sort of growing and studying the word and just being sort of uh, submerged in that more or less 24 seven is a different lifestyle than just going to church on Sunday, you know? So what, what did that produce on the positive side, things that people are missing out on now that you saw, let's say when you went over to the, to the greens house, when they, all the people yeah. living with them, what was stuff that you went, yep, that seems like that will not come back without this commitment to community. Yeah, that's a good question. I um, I think a oneness in, in, a, in, in direction of the way they thought about spiritual things, you know, as a community, which was powerful to me. Um, I would see they would kind of agree on doing something a certain way and they'd shoot that direction with it. And I think there was much more uh, of an effective uh, result with that as far as like, you know, even, even evangelical type work or even communal work helping people that are in need or whatever they had this they had a mindset that was similar so they got a lot done because their their focus was was uh you know one of unity and not just well i think we had to do this and i think we had to do that you know uh so i think i think that's kind of gone away a little bit everybody's just kind of doing their own deal right now it seems like mm. Mm. when it when it came to that unity did they struggle i see in the church a lot of people struggle with confusing unity and uniformity yeah and so was that ever hard that, okay, we, everybody needs to be this clone or was it unity that, that allowed for God to be growing in the individual, whatever he's doing with them. And there was space for that. Yeah. I think the latter, what you just said is, was definitely more, I mean, it's not like they wore the same uniforms and, you know, had the same haircut, and, uh -huh. you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> same sunglasses, cap on backwards. <laughs> <clears throat> but um, I mean, they were still independent people, uh, but they they were they had a focus, I guess, uh, of things, and they were shooting in the same direction. I guess is the only way I can put it. So, Nate, I know you know about uh, some of this as well. When and why did all of this start fading? Not just with the Jesus people, but uh, I know Nate. We've talked about other communal experiments that you were aware of. What? What happened if it was such a good thing and if it represented more of an early church dependence on each other and God, why was it so short-lived and fade out as the 80s approached the dangerous and evil 80s? Oh, well, you know, I don't know. I really don't. But I do know this was not the first time that this communitarian spirit has swept through the church. There was a huge wave of communitarianism in the 1840s, 1850s in the United States. Communities sprung up all over the country. The, and even earlier than that, the Hutterites, the Shakers, and then the 1850s, around that time, the, uh, the Oneida community and several other communities in New York. Um, it's, I think, prosperity poses a challenge to community. You, that picture that we get of the early church, that first century church where they held all things in common and uh, and those who had property sold it as necessary to provide for those that were in need, that kind of thing. Uh -huh. uh, that was pretty much a community under siege and they were taking care of each other. I think prosperity can threaten community. Uh, I think also... Um, you know, there can be this, uh, 
I think community can either be healthy or unhealthy, and it can tip in either uh, it can tip toward the unhealthy fairly quickly if uh, a dominant personality takes hold, and if uniformity is valued over uh, unity, and suddenly we have to hold the same beliefs and do the everything in the same way. Uh, also, I think you know there's this challenge. I think any community can become so close that it becomes closed. That group becomes a primary group that other people can't penetrate as it develops its own culture, its own language, its own shorthand, its own unwritten rules. Mm -hmm. uh, people coming in from the outside cannot adjust and are not trusted early enough. Uh, and sounds like, sounds like churches too. Churches do the same thing. Denominations. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's always a challenge. I've seen this even in Samson groups. It's always a challenge to keep those doors and windows open and make it easier for easy for people to enter the community, because you can get so close that um, even without noticing it, you're giving the newcomer, um, you're speaking in code that he can't understand. You're giving him a cold shoulder just because you're paying. A so much attention to everybody else. Wait, so are you saying broad is the gate and easy is the way into a Samson group? Is that yes. a problem? Yes, I am. Yes, I, I am. <laughs> <laughs> the standards are high, the expectations are high, but the door is wide and wide open. Has to be. Uh, so, Matt, give me before, because I, I want to hear more about the, the transition there, but. Uh, that culture as it was entering in, and, and I, you don't have to give specific stories, whatever you think is appropriate, but because it was coming from a very unchurched group coming into this movement, uh, there was some confusion over bringing practices from their past lives into this new life. Uh, how did people work that out? Did it swing towards legalism to try to fix that, or did people just say, oh, I'm what I'm sorry. What's wrong with you know free love and and uh, passing the joint? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think I I never saw too much of an issue with those type of things. I mean, there were exceptions. I, I could I could name people that you would know their names if I said them, who would think that you know smoking a little dube, you know, doing this, doing that. That's eh, cool. You know, it's it's all good. Um, I'm not here to tell you it's right or wrong. I, you know, what do I know? Mm. I'm just a, I'm just a dad of three kids and have five grandchildren, but I don't know anything about that stuff. Mm. <laughs> anyway, um, but I think you know, the, a lot of those people came out of that lifestyle on purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't want to do that anymore. You know, they gave their lives to Jesus. So I saw more people wanting to be. How, how Jesus would want them to be and not how they would want to be necessarily like without him. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, so I didn't see a lot of those issues, like people trying to hang on to all these, all the old riffraff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They let one go and they dive into the other. So. Okay. So then you saw, because you're ministering inside the church during that era and then all the way through the eighties and nineties, you, you saw all the transitions from the inside so was it a stark transition or was it a subtle transition out of that kind of church community vibe to what would become kind of an 80s version of the American church? What did that look like? Well, I mean, well, for us personally, it was very weird because 
we were doing stuff musically that really wasn't ex- wasn't acceptable in the church. You know, we mm-hmm. had electronical guitars and <laughs> drums and such, and amplificationes, <laughs> <clears throat> and that that was looked down on. And so, we had issues with some of the more mainstream denominations as a group. Mm-hmm. As we began touring, when we first started, we co- we couldn't play churches; they wouldn't let us come in and play. We did municipal auditoriums, we did civic auditoriums, uh, high schools, so on and so forth. But uh, it wasn't for a lot of years that we could play in churches. Now everybody does stuff in church. You know, it's like it's like you folks had no idea what we had to go through. <laughs> you could so that you could do what you're doing now. Um, that's just one aspect of of what I saw. In, in the church in the 80s, 70s and 80s and, and kind of how it's different now. A lot a lot more is accepted in the church and I think almost, not almost to a fault, to a fault, I think the church is embracing a lot of junk that it should be absolutely rejecting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and so, and back in the day they wouldn't accept things that they should have. So it's kind of yeah. fun. It's, it's been weird to watch that flop. You know, I think you saw some, you must have experienced some cultural whiplash in another area too, um, because when uh, that huge wave of promise keepers came through the country. Right, yeah. um, This was not community, but this was just a mass assembly of men uh, filling stadiums. And you were were front and center as uh, doing music ministry uh, in those huge events, um, what do you think the Promise Keepers brought to the church, and what do you think it left behind? Uh, it, what, what do you think we 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 uh, we abandoned and shouldn't abandon have abandoned with Promise Keepers? Where did we hit? Where did we miss? Well, I think the gathering together of all those men was awesome. I, I missed that. I think that should be going on. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a good thing. Again, everybody was kind of focused and shooting in the same direction, you know, mm-hmm. so it was communal in that sense. Uh, I think uh, <clears throat> what I what I don't miss about it was I, I think <laughs> like a lot of good things, uh, it sort of became its own deal. It became a denomination, if you will. Mm-hmm. When I when I think it was a movement and it should mm-hmm. have stayed a movement, it became something else. And I think that's I think that's why it, why it uh, augured in, you know, mm-hmm. because it uh, it was trying to take on structure that it, it didn't need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were your? I, I'm curious because I remember being at those, you know, early '90s Promise Keeper events at the LA Coliseum and being blown away with the 78,000 men there. Uh, so what what were some of your best memories of that? Oh, a couple. Um, we did uh, a couple of different times. We did. Uh, in the latter years of that, the, the, the latter nineties, we did a couple of events, uh, that were actually simulcast between stadiums. There was actually multiple stadiums going on at the same time. So at, at one point we were singing live to like 140,000 people. <laughs> wow. Um, I think one of my, one of my favorite, uh, highlights was, uh, uh, Smitty Price, who was the worship leader of the band I was in, they had three or four different bands that went out. But I was I was in his band, and I wanted to be in his band because he's a good friend of mine. Uh, we did a deal where uh, all the singers played instruments, and all the and all the uh, musicians sang on one song. <laughs> and it was it was an utter failure. It was terrible. 
<laughs> but the but the thing I loved about it was I got to play drums because Smitty had heard me play drums before, and he goes, "Matt's on drums." I mean, he didn't even, you know. But I'm yes. like, "Yes." So uh, so that worked out great. The only time I've ever played drums live was to about eighty thousand people, <laughs> and um, and there I was on the jumbotron counting out this, and I'm like, "That's right. That's the way it should be right there." You know, it's the Matt Ward show, baby. And I just I just laid it down, and you know, one song, one time in my life to eighty thousand people. Amazing. Who, but whoever gets a shot like that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty well. Oh boy, it was wow. fun. It was great. Who are some of your favorite speakers that uh, you got to watch do their oh, thing? Jeez, I, I mean, I there were so many. Um, actually, one of my favorite speakers was uh, the guy who was actually the, the the lead of our worship team. He did some speaking as well. His name was Joseph Garlington. Oh, Joe Garlington, yeah, yeah, and he was probably one of my one of my faves. I mean, yeah. I fell in love with the guy. I've, I've been I went to his church after that and sung sung with his worship team and did some solo stuff there just absolutely loved it um, yeah. he had an organist he had an organist that was probably one of the most phenomenal organ players not one of the most phenomenal organ player i've ever heard in my life the guy was oh, yeah. just scary i mean smitty price and i <laughs> smitty price is an awesome keyboard player i mean and he mm -hmm. can he can conduct orchestras he can i mean he's amazing he can do it all he he and i would look at each other when when john the, the organist would start he would do a solo and he would start going just in outer space somewhere and i'm looking at smitty and i'm like and we're both thinking how is he going to get out of this one <laughs> yeah yeah i mean he's, he's totally painting himself in the corner and he would get so down far down in the corner and then he would just schwa and he would just break out and do some wacky <laughs> thing and i'm like okay and so smitty and i would talk about it afterwards we just die laughing i'm like john you're sick of my head man what are you doing that, that's one that's some of my favorite i know it has nothing to do with spirituality there, you know, the altar calls, sure, the dads coming down with their sons. That yeah, was yeah, all yeah. one, you know, oh, God, this, you know, and it was just as I am. You know, there, there were great moments there, obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And probably the most most important moments. But for mm -hmm. me, just as a human being, you know, the, 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 the lighter you... side of things, you know, I, yeah. I have a tendency to remember those kind of things. And, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, I think all of our listeners that go to gospel churches will accept yeah. that a good b3 hammond organ solo is going to be transcendent so i think they yes. can they can accept that fine absolutely <laughs> so what are you doing now what's happening in matt ward's life and ministry these days you you know what man i've been doing the weirdest stuff the last couple of years i mm -hmm. mean i I'm, I'm a cna so i do cna work for my daughter who lives with us uh which is like a certified nurse's aide and uh -huh. you have to you know state board it's it's a you have to do it so uh, I'm, I've been doing that for the last couple of years. Uh, I've been working security, believe it or not, uh, for uh, executive security detail for Dr. James Dobson. Wow. Yeah, I've been doing that for the last couple of years. I fill in now. I was doing yeah. it full time for a while, but now I'm filling in. Yeah. Uh, so it's great. I get to carry a gun. Praise God. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I mean. It's the best job I've ever had. You know, yeah. I get to carry weapons. This is awesome. Uh, you know, gosh. Peace of the Lord be with you. You know, and also with yeah. you. I'm sure there are some hippies right now that are confused and disappointed, Mr. Ward. I don't know. You know what? I'm at a point in my career now 
Whereas I could, I could pretty much shoot myself in the foot. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that must be really fun because you've actually, experienced, yeah. Actually, it is, it is a great place to be because I used to have to think now, you know, even when you're recording music, you know, you, you think now, is, are they going to play this on the radio? Even though I never really cared. They were always, they'd always try to get me to edit out guitar solos and I never did. And so mm -hmm. the stations, the stations would hack up my songs to get the solos out, but I just left them in. But yeah, where was I going with that? I don't remember. Yeah. Help so me, how's, you could just be yourself now. You oh, don't yeah, have yeah, to yeah. be concerned about the audience. Yeah. I don't have, yeah. yeah, not so much. I'm concerned. Of course, I'm not going to just blow people up, you know, <laughs> which would be very easy. As, as you know, Nate, you know me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so I, could end my, I could end my career tomorrow if I wanted to. You know? <laughs> I'm very glad to see you in one piece because last yeah. I saw you, you were just about to get the most spectacular. It was your birthday present, right? Uh, oh, my, my Harley. Your Harley. Yeah. Oh, baby. Yeah. I'm still paying for that one. Literally and literally. Mm. <laughs> um, I was going to go for a ride yesterday, but I couldn't. I had to take my daughter to get her nails done for her birthday. Yeah, for her birthday. So you got a birthday yeah, celebration later today. Uh, Which daughter is this? Uh, my youngest, Maddie, she is 28 today. Oh my. my youngest is 28. Good Lord. You are so old. I just, what happened? <laughs> I mean, th things just start falling off, man. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. terrible. Yeah, yeah. We all know about yeah. that. Praise the Lord. But yeah. So no, yeah, no, we, uh, we did a thing. We're going to do a big deal with her tomorrow. Uh, Megan, my oldest daughter is bringing the five grand boys over and her husband and Morgan, my middle daughter, and her husband are coming over. We're doing a big dinner for her tomorrow night. Oh, nice. So, yeah. So she wanted actually to spend the day with her boyfriend. Well, I want to bring this back to full circle and say for the audience members who are, say, 40 and under, who had, had no didn't get to taste a lot of what you guys are talking about so they can hear it intellectually yeah community hippies jesus people what what would you tell them hey you haven't seen this but you really need to experience it you need to get this you've missed out hunt for it grab it yeah that's i wouldn't even know where to start with that because how would you I mean, I'm, I don't have I don't have my finger on the pulse of who's doing communal living these days. Okay, I'll I'll phrase it. I'll frame it differently. If you could take ten, uh, say twenty to thirty five year olds, and transport them back to experience some aspect of those early days that were so exciting, what would you take them to go experience and see? Oh man. Well, I mean, last day's ministries did did really good stuff. They were a little, little, you know, too boxed in for me. Everybody's too boxed in for me, but <laughs> as Nate Nate knows that all too well. Uh, but I think I think probably that ministry because I knew that one probably the the most. I knew the ins and outs of it and how they worked. Um, I would take a group of 10, 20 to thirty year olds and say, "Here's what it's like to live." A little bit more outside of yourself mm -hmm. and and how to be thinking of others more than you do i guarantee it and uh because kids today man they they just don't they don't have it they're, they're looking for the job and i get all that you know they're trying to trying to strive and figure out their lives and go in the in 
in a good direction, you know. But it'd be fun to take those people out for a few months and just drop them into that situation and go, this is what it's like when you work with other people, have the same mindset, same similar goals, um, and, and they're all positive things. They're not, uh, you're trying to help people, you know. You're not just trying to get by and, and increase your own world, you know. Very cool. Well, Matthew, thank you for hanging out with us and and giving people a little of the Matt Ward experience today on this June morning. So one of my favorite me- memories on the road yes. Yes. was, was uh, uh, we were touring with Phil Keggy in 1977, yeah, a while back. And um, it was time for Phil to do a set. We couldn't find him anywhere. Couldn't find him anywhere. So I had the idea to start looking for some reason in our road cases. I mean, why would somebody get in a road case? I don't know. But sure enough, we had this one case that was this big microphone stand case, you know, Mm -hmm. and he was curled up. He was down on the bottom and they're taking a nap. (laughs) During the concert. I'm like, "Uh, Phil, you're up, you know, (laughs) tag, tag, you're it, bud. You know, (laughs) that was one of my favorite. That was one of my favorite memories. No, he's not. He's not terribly huge. Yeah, yeah. I'll be darn. Okay. That's one of them. (laughs) And on that note, we will be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Good, good conversation with Matt. Man, he's a fun guy to hang out with. I gotta say, he, he really is. He's one of my f- favorite friends and a great. Uh, it's a great hang. You're gonna and laugh your you're gonna laugh yourself silly every time you're with Matt. When you add his bride to the mix, though, I gotta say it gets exponentially better. <laughs> I, I love watching the two of them together. It's just hilarious. Yeah, yeah, She's yeah. so different from him, but they're yeah. so together. They're one yeah, in yeah. soul. Yeah, well, yeah. good. Well, uh, we do not have any letters in the mailbag right now. Shame, that seems impossible. Yeah. Shame and guilt upon the masses. We would love to hear from you. So shoot us a note at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Or hit us up on Facebook. Uh, Also, if you haven't checked out the YouTube channel, give that a uh, a watch or a subscribe or a like. We're still not sure what any of those buttons do, uh, but we hear good things. Chocolate will rain from heaven. (laughs) All right. Well, it's been great hanging today, Aaron, and uh, it's a... it's a bright spot. It was a vacation in the midst of my vacation. <laughs> Double down the vacation. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I think that's about it. We Has our time expired, Aaron? Seeing as how there is no time limit, our time is exactly up. 
Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, the lake awaits. Uh, until next week, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yeah.